Welcome to According to the Scriptures, where doing things according to God's Word is of heavenly importance to us. I'm Kyle Webb, your host, and I'm glad that you are here. A few weeks ago, one of our members suggested that we do a study on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And the reason that he gave is that the seven ones that are found in those verses pretty well cover Christianity and should be fundamental to each of us as Christians. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And so we began that study. And today, for an installment of According to the Scriptures, I want to share with you an original recording of the sermon in hopes that it will be beneficial to you. So grab your Bible, a pen and paper if you'd like to take notes, And I'll be back at the end of the program to give you more information about our congregation and how to contact us. Our lesson for today is on one hope. And so all the songs that we have sung today are about one hope. Um, uh, This has been a very interesting series. It's been a very challenging series in uh, respect of some of the lessons that we've had that I, I don't usually focus on one body, for instance. I don't usually focus on one spirit. And so uh, to, to be able to take time and notice each of these individually uh, is a bit challenging, um, but I do think that it's been a, a really good series for us so far, and I look forward to continuing that. Um, I, I was going through the verses. I tried to, to continue what we did with our, our last series, and we had the book. And in the book, there were scripture readings for each day of the week. And so I've tried to continue in doing that. And so I make up my own scripture readings for each of these lessons. Whereas I had a book to go by the the last time. I'm making all this up on my own. And so I'm looking forward to to next week's lesson and trying to think of one Lord. uh, Trying to narrow that down into one lesson. It may be a couple of lessons. um, But trying to narrow that down into one and, and who really is the one Lord. Uh, is going to be challenging as well. Uh, so anyway, very good lessons I think so far, and I, I hope today's is, is one of those as well. But we're talking about one hope, uh, the one hope that we share as Christians. Going back to our lesson text, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. By the time we get through, maybe we'll have this memorized. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, And in you all. So far we've already talked about how we are one body. We the church. 
We make up one body. We're not uh, a multiplicity. We're, uh, we're not many bodies. We are one body. The world has uh, a tendency to define the church as many bodies. We have many different beliefs and many different backgrounds and many different things that we do, but we're all going to one place in the end. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible does teach is that we are one body. We are one church. We are the Lord's body. There is one head of the Lord's church. Whereas with denominations, there are many heads and and different people that, that may be involved in the headship of the church. We have but one head, and that is Jesus Christ. And we are his body. We are one body. We are one in the way that we act, in the way that we talk, in the way that we live, in the way that we worship especially. We are one body. We are the church. We are of one spirit. And we talked about the, the, the Holy Spirit and, and how he relates to us as Christians. We are of one spirit. Not many spirits, but one spirit. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the Godhead as we get into one Lord and one God and Father of all. But today we're focused on hope. We are focused on hope. And I can count on, actually I can only think of three lessons I've ever done on hope that I remember specifically, and this is one of the three. We don't speak on hope very much, and it's hard to, to really narrow it down to, to one particular thought. Um, but we're going to try to, to, to focus today on how we are united in one hope. Whenever we think of hope, we have a question, what kind of hope do Christians share? What are we talking about in relation to hope and how we understand it to be? We use the word all the time. Uh, We use it in everyday conversation. I hope to do this. I hope that I'll be able to do that. But do we really understand what it means in a spiritual sense? When we're talking about the church, when we're talking about Christianity and how we are united in one hope, we're talking about a heavenly hope. It's not an earthly hope. It is a heavenly hope. And there is a very big difference between hope that is of a heavenly nature, of a godly nature, and hope in a worldly sense. Now, many have their hopes and trust placed in worldly, temporal things. I say temporal because they don't last. When we think of the world in general, we understand that the world will not last. There is going to be a time when this world is going to be destroyed. We're told that in Scripture. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 is a good example of that. This world is going to be destroyed. There are religious groups that teach otherwise, that, that teach that Jesus is going to, to return to earth and we're going to live on earth. And that's not the case because God tells us that the world is going to be destroyed. So anything that is of the world, anything that is in the world will be destroyed. Look at this building. You think of of how old this building is. This goes back to 1922, somewhere between 1922 and 24, depending on who you ask. The plaque outside says 1923. But 
you, you think of the age of this building. We're, we're approaching 100 years of this building. Um, and when you think of that, look at, at, at how beautiful it is. And this building has stood for a long time. And we, we take pride in, in the fact that we take very good care of it. We have. But there's going to be a time where this building is going to be destroyed. When this building does not exist. When this congregation uh, dissolves into a heavenly kingdom. Things of this world, though beautiful as they are, we know that God has created them. We know that they are of a temporal nature. That they're not going to last. Now, a lot of the things that we hope and, and trust in will not be. Forever. You think of the job that you have now, and, and you're not going to have that job forever. One day you're going to be able to retire if you live long enough. Or you may go to a different job, but, but we put our, our trust in that, and, and that may not always be. The houses that we live in, we may not always live in those houses. We may live in them for a long time, but eventually... If we live long enough, we're going to pass away. We're no longer going to live in those houses. Or we may move. The cars that we drive only last for a certain amount of time. We may have older cars, but, but you know they eventually get to where it's hard to, to work on them and keep them running. And, and we may not have those cars forever. Uh, the, the worldly possessions that we have, the, uh, especially you think... Uh, if you have an attic, go in your attic and look at all the things that, that you've collected over the years. If you've been in one house for a long time, uh, you'll have a great deal of things that, that you've collected. But even those possessions, something could happen to them. Uh, a fire could destroy them or a flood, uh, something of, of an uncontrollable nature. When we think of, of things of a worldly nature like that, they will not last. They are temporal. Even the people that you are close to, we may trust in our family or our friends, but you know, sometimes they don't always live up to their promises. Maybe they tell you they're going to do something and you trust them to do it and something happens that, that keeps them from doing it. Maybe it's in their control. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's their fault. Maybe it's not. But, you know, we can't always put our trust in people. And sometimes those relationships that we have will dissolve as well. Uh, maybe someone gets offended and, and we don't want to be around a certain person. You see, things of a worldly nature are temporal. They do not last forever. And, and even if you have a, a family member or a friend that you trust in, uh, again, if we live long enough, they, they eventually will pass away or we will eventually pass away. And those relationships are severed, at least on earth. But Christians place their hope in God. Now, what's the difference? If we place our hope in God, what's the difference in placing our hope in Him and placing our hope in the world? We think of the promises that God has made. Uh, there are things that we trust in that God has said would happen. There are things that have been said that would happen that did. We have fulfillment of those promises in Scripture. And we know that the promises that are to be, that God will be faithful to those. We can trust 
in those promises. We can trust in the word of God. As God is eternal, so our hopes in him are in things of an eternal nature. We think of heaven. We, we think of what God has promised us will be in eternity. We can put our trust in that hope. Uh, we think of the treasure of God. Beyond the, the worldly riches in worth, we have treasure from God. Our hopes are in things that cannot be stolen or destroyed and that never decay or diminish in value. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 20 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the, the great differences between our hope in God and our hope in the world is that our hope in God can be sure and steadfast. The things that we hope for in this world, we hope will be. We hope we will get to do this or that, that we will get to experience this or that. But we don't know that that's going to happen. That's why we hope in those things. Whereas when we look at a, a hope of of God, whenever we look at, at hope from a spiritual sense, we can put our trust in that it's going to happen. If God promised it, it will be. And so our hope is not uh, looking at things in a maybe kind of sense. It's looking at it from a sense that this is what God has said will be, and we know that it will be. So hope, in a sense, for us is more of what we know than what we actually think might, might, might happen or might not happen. Whereas worldly hope can only hope for the best outcome based on what we believe and think will be. When we put our hope and trust in God, we know that what God has said will be. You think of the faith of Abraham and Sarah in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly Country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah were, were nomads in this world. They didn't have a home. They lived in the land of Canaan, which was the promised land of God for his people, but they lived in it as strangers and tents. It was not theirs at that time. There was a time where, where God's people would be out of Canaan and that they would have to come back and take over the land of Canaan once again. But as we look at what Abraham and Sarah did, their faith was in God. When God told them to leave, they didn't look back. They didn't look back at, at what they had once experienced and say, we want to go back to that. They lived for what was to be, what God had promised for his people, things that they would never see in this life. That's the kind of faith that we have in God. We don't look back at what we have had in the past. We look forward to the future and what God has promised us. That's a heavenly hope. Abraham and Sarah did not seek worldly riches. 
But instead, they put their hopes in the heavenly promises of God, looking for the reward that God had promised them rather than the things that they would experience in this life. Now, as we move forward in our lesson, I think I skipped one. I did skip one. Uh, We come to fundamentals of hope. We're talking about uh, just some of the things that we know about hope in general. And hopefully it gives us a a good idea of what hope really is for us as Christians. This is not uh, going to be a three-point sermon. This is a one-point sermon. Uh, This is the only point that I'm really going to make. Now, while Christians are expected to have a heavenly hope, there are other aspects of this hope that we need to understand. First of all, where does this hope come from? One of the songs that we sang a moment ago was soft as the voice of an angel. And Kirk has mentioned it in class, and I've mentioned it several times since Kirk has, that whenever we, we look at Scripture, and especially when you look at references to angels, usually someone is afraid and they have to say, Do not be afraid! And we think of, of the, the softness of the voice. It's not really... Uh, that that the song is talking about. And, and I don't think it's unscriptural by any means. But when we think of what they were whispering, I, I think it's more the softness of the hope in the message that they were delivering. Not necessarily in the physical voice, but in the heart of, of what they were delivering to God's people. Now, we have angels that on occasion would deliver messages from God. One of those is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Uh, It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, which was uh, in the context before this. And so the angel Gabriel comes to a virgin of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. In verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Similarly, uh, an angel came to Joseph as well. Matthew chapter 1 beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There is hope in the angel's message. Hope that they would have a son. Hope that, that this son was of God, not of a, an earthly nature necessarily, but this was of the Spirit. This is something that could only happen through God. 
There is great hope in the coming of Jesus. It wasn't just for Joseph and Mary that Jesus came, but it was for us also. So while it is true that angels on occasion brought messages of hope, such as the message that was given to Mary, to Joseph, uh, the hope that would come through Jesus, true hope was not in the angels themselves. Mary's hope, Joseph's hope, was not in the angel coming to them. It was not in the angel Gabriel. It was not in the angel that came to Joseph, whether that be Gabriel or another angel. But their hope was not in the angel, but in the message that comes from the angel. It's similar to me preaching a sermon to you. And I may deliver a message of hope to you, but your hope is not in me. I'm just the messenger. Just like these angels were the messengers. That's what the word angel means, messenger. Their hope was not in the angels. Their hope was in the message that the angels brought from God. And so the hope of the angels, their message comes from God. And God is our source of hope. So while we may sing songs such as soft as the voice of an angel, whispering hope, our hope is not in the messenger. Our hope is in the message and where the message come from, comes from. Last week we had a lesson on John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Our hope is found in God's love for his people and his willingness to give his son to die for their sins. That's where our hope comes from. So if we're asking this question, where does hope come from? Our hope comes from God. He is the source of our hope. Now, what is our hope exactly? We know the source of our hope now. We know where it comes from, but what is our hope? It's actually two or three different things. Let's start with salvation, the hope of salvation. Of John the baptizer who prepared the way for Jesus in Luke chapter 3, beginning with verses with verse 3 and reading through verse 6, this is said of him. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Pay very close attention to that last line. All flesh, all flesh, all mankind shall see the salvation of God. 
the salvation that is here mentioned would be realized in the coming of Christ. Now, Christ was on earth. He had been born, but he had not yet begun his ministry. And so John, the baptizer, he prepared the way for Jesus. And as he prepared the way for Jesus, he taught salvation was to come in him. Now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection particularly, all of mankind is offered salvation in the Lord. Something that could not be realized in the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that they made uh, alone. It looked forward to the shedding of the blood of a perfect sacrifice, which was Jesus. And it is through Him and through His sacrifice that we are offered salvation. Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Everyone is offered salvation. Paul was not ashamed in the message because it was the offering of salvation to everyone. We are offered salvation. We have hope in the salvation that comes through Christ. Now, what are we saved from exactly? If we are experiencing salvation, it means that we are saved from something. In Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For salvation. We are saved from the penalty of death, which we deserve because of our sins. Because of Christ, whenever we look at at this verse in particular, look at Hebrews 9, 27 again. It is appointed for men to die once. We will die. One day, each and every one of us will either be in a graveyard or will be in heaven with Christ, but we will die. But in Christ, that death is not the final death. It's not the end. Whenever we experience the end of a movie or the end of a book, it brings a sort, a, a, a great sort of emotions. And when we experience the end of life on earth, it brings a great deal of emotions. We may be happy for an individual that has passed on that we know was faithful to God because we know that they're in heaven. But we may be sad because they're parted from us, but it's not the end. Now, if Christ hadn't come, if he hadn't died for us, it would be the end. When we die, that is the end. There is no hope whatsoever. The Sadducees were were guilty of believing uh, that there was no resurrection, and so they were very sad, you see. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Death is not the end. So while it is appointed to man to die once, it's not the end. We face the judgment as well. We live on, and if we are faithful, God will reward us. Jesus' victory over the grave is our own. We we talked about in in recent lessons, especially uh, around Easter, we talked about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He was resurrected from the grave. He did not remain in the grave, and that was not the end for him. And because it's not the end for him, it's not the end for us either. 
while it is appointed for man to die once, it's not the end. Because of Jesus and because of his victory, it is ours as well. We are saved from our sins through the shedding of his own blood on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In a sense, we're saved from ourselves because my sin condemns me to a penalty of death, but Jesus' blood gives me life. So while we experience ends in this world, in this life, it's not the end. It's not the final end. We know that there is a greater hope of something better. We are ultimately saved from eternal punishment. That's what salvation is. It's being saved from eternal punishment and destruction in hell. And we look forward to something greater. There is another hope that we experience other than salvation. And that is the hope of heaven. We have the hope of heaven and eternity spent with God. Jesus, the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Go back to John 3.16 for a moment. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We are saved from our sins unto eternal life in Christ. Our hope is not just in the fact that we are saved, but what that looks forward to. And that is eternity with God. We go back to our scripture reading, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. This hope is founded in faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Faith is the foundation. Faith is the foundation of our hope. Our faith in God leads us, it propels us in obedience and faithfulness to God. Because we believe in God, because we believe in His Word. It leads us to go further, it leads us to something. Belief is not the end of our salvation. Just because you believe doesn't mean that you're going to be saved. It should lead us to something else. It should lead us to obedience. Look at the next few verses of Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Abel's faith led him to do something more. 
Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's not going to lead us to do anything. It's not going to, to, to lead us into God's good graces without obedience. If we don't believe in God, we're not going to be led to do anything else. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah's faith led him to obedience, and our faith too will lead us to obedience to God. But what does that mean for us today? Whenever we look at at what our faith leads us to, our hope is in our obedience. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in His promises. But that hope and that faith should lead us to obey God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10 for a moment. Romans chapter 10 beginning with verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It leads us to confess our faith in Christ. Faith leads us to confess our faith in Christ. When someone comes forward or when someone expresses the desire to be saved from their sins, one of the first things that we do is we have them confess in a public manner, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Our mouth confesses what is in our heart, what we believe in our heart to be true. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But it doesn't end there. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. Same chapter. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith, we, we learn faith by what we hear, and by what we believe. That is what we call faith. It says in verse 13 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is it saying, Lord, Lord, save me from my sins? That's not the the way that we call on the name of the Lord. But the way that we call on the name of the Lord is in our obedience. In the the actions that we take with our faith. We, We have believed and now we're doing something with that faith. And that is calling on the name of the Lord. It leads us to repentance and baptism. Acts chapter 2. 
Beginning with verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, including us today, as many as the Lord our God will call. He has called us to obedience. And here Peter tells them that it's in repentance. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins. Repentance and baptism. We call on the name of the Lord in our obedience. And it leads us to repent of our sins, to change our life. It leads us to salvation. Now, there are a lot of people that, that think that once they have been baptized, well, that's the end. I, I am set for life. I, I'm going to be saved. But again, that's not what the scriptures teach. There's something more. That you must do beyond confessing your faith, beyond calling on the name of the Lord in repentance and baptism for the remission of sins, you must also live a faithful life. Faithfulness in life leads us to heaven. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, we have the persecuted church of Smyrna. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Christianity is not an easy life. And these Christians, they were faithful, but they were not promised an easy life. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to be persecuted for your faith. But it says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until until death. We are called to faithfulness to God. Let's go back to Acts 2 for just a moment. Verses 41 and 42. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. That wasn't the end for those that were baptized on the day of Pentecost. That was just the beginning. I had decided to follow Jesus. I had decided to follow Jesus. I had decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. On behalf of myself and the Mars Hill Church of Christ, we thank you for joining us. We hope you will be back with us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. right here on the Gospel Radio Network at tgrn.org. If you would like to contact us, our phone number is 615-203-3637. If you would like to find out more about our congregation, our website is www.marshillcoc.org. Our email address is marshillcoc at gmail.com 
And if you would like to contact us the old-fashioned way, our address is 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. If you are in our area, we would love to meet you in person. Our service times are 9 a.m. for Bible study and 10 a.m. for worship on Sunday mornings. Thank you again for joining us, and until we meet again, may God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.